Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. again things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday are you speaking to moi hello and welcome to little marty the only podcast on the internet dedicated to covering the work of adam sandler and martin scorsese my name is eric halloween my name is jeremy the butcher bickle what's happening chop chop Mm-hmm. Time to give me. You know what? I'm uh, I'm cold. All right. Give me that American flag. I'm gonna wear it like a shirt. <laughs> right. Right. Uh. You know, one weird thing about Jeremy is he's always wearing a flag. Yes. I'm of some dra- kind. It's always draped around me, sort of like a a big um metaphor for something. I'm not sure what, but it's uh yeah. People have told me it's a metaphor. For well, for a while you were wearing the Camp Anawana shirt uh, flag around you from <laughs> Salute Your Shorts, yes, which of uh, course. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, Jeremy, it's great to be back. Um, if if you're uh, if you're a listener to the show, you might notice that it's been a couple days since we put out an episode, and that's because, well, Jeremy robbed a sunglass hut mm. again. Mm-hmm. No. We yeah. we've been we've been busy. We've been tra- you've been traveling. Oh, I've yeah. been traveling. We've been traveling around. It's the summer. You know what I mean? But we were talking you were in Texas. Yeah, and, I was in uh, Texas. I was in old Texas town, USA. You know, I already asked my question to you off the air about Texas toast. Mm-hmm. Uh another question I have about Texas. Stuff really bigger there? Uh yeah, I mean everything is bigger there. Uh, spaces between houses are bigger there. Hair okay. is bigger there. Uh, you know, cars are bigger there. I think uh, you know, the amount of money in your bank account after you pay rent is bigger there. That's a so that's a you, long way of you saying it's uh, cheap to live. <laughs> so what you're telling me, and this is what I'm hearing. Is when you, uh, now a normal L.A. uh, person, Los Angelino, goes to Texas, and you're a normal size, you forget your toothbrush, you go to a store in Texas, you buy a toothbrush. Yes. But you probably can't fit the damn thing in your mouth because it's so much bigger over there. No, no, no. It becomes a hairbrush at that point. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I use for a toothbrush instead is um, is my aunt's hairbrush and i ain't talking about my aunt and uncle aunt i'm talking about my little tiny aunt creature (laughs) their hairbrush is my toothbrush yeah it's a whole thing (laughs) also happens to be the sister of one of your parents well yeah yeah. i mean i didn't want to bring that up because that does tend to confuse people because i are they saying are you talking about your aunt or your aunt i'm like well i'm actually both talking about my aunt aunt and is her name aunt? Well, yes, it is. So my aunt, aunt, aunt. Who, Speaking of name pronunciations, we never got to this. It's kind of crazy that we haven't spoken about this, uh, and we're like five movies in with this guy. But is it Scorsese or Scorsese? I think I've heard him say Scorsese. You've in heard interviews. Martin himself, Little yeah. Marty himself, say. His his pronunciation is Scorsese. If that's true, I I'm gonna so. I'm gonna show I'm gonna score I'm gonna escort Sessy my way out of this podcast because I've been calling him Scorsese that's like a like a pedestrian. It's just easier to say, you know. Yeah, I I mean, uh, definitely easier to say. Uh, definitely more of like what I've heard him be called over the years. Uh, I was listening to a, an interview with one Quentin Tarantino today calling him Scorsese. So uh, I don't know. I feel like I've I, been calling him Quentin Tapatio. <laughs> yeah. yeah, anyway, exactly. Uh, and um, 
and even doing that to his face, which has sort of been kind of rude. I've been like, Eric, it's 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 pronounced <laughs> it's pronounced Quentin Chalua. So I don't know what <laughs> what your problem is. Not even. It's one of those names that just doesn't even sound close to how it's spelled. <laughs> yeah. um, Jeremy, you know, peek behind the curtain. We record two episodes at a time. We do this, the boring normal episode that everyone hears for free that is very good by podcasting standards, but compared to our other episode that we do, it's just, I mean, we're warming up here. Mm. After this, we record a bonus episode that goes out to the brave army of Nerf gun wielding maniacs uh, on our Patreon, mm-hmm. and uh, we are an army. We oh, do yeah. have water balloons, Nerf guns, uh, and a passion, Jeremy, for weird movies. And we're we're recording an episode after this that I'm very excited about uh, for the movie The Man Who Fell to Earth. Which is a completely psychotic David Bowie starring film uh, from the 70s. Um, but you can listen to us. You can force us to do episodes on movies at, the, at our Patreon. You can uh, listen to us discuss some of these things, some of the Marty and Sandler uh, things that we skip over on the main feed. Like we did an episode on um, Italian-American. We did an episode on American Boy. mm we also talked about American Girl, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> yeah. Tom Petty song. Right. We did an episode on Coneheads. I mm. mean, uh, Shakes the Clown. We're doing it all over there. Speaking Jeremy. of Coneheads, I heard uh, his show just ended on TBS. <laughs> oh, yeah. Conehead O'Brien. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeremy, what would people, what would someone do if they wanted to hear this bonus content? If I'm they wanted about. to hear us talk about all these, all this extra peripheral stuff, they would go to patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy to sign up at the $5 tier. And when I say peripheral, I mean it's kind of the best stuff we've ever done in our lives. Uh, it's mm-hmm. got a lot of uh, heart and soul in that thing. We really let our hair down. And and me and Eric, well, we don't we we don't have the most hair so let's just say it no. it, it all comes down so yeah. uh, i have one i have one strand mm-hmm. but it's like 8 <laughs> 8 feet long right i'm i'm famously got like a homer simpson where it's just three kind of lines <laughs> yeah and, uh, strategically combed over strategic yeah very strategic mhm Anyway, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Good times over there. Taxi driver, Jeremy. Have you you had to have seen this movie at some point, right? Oh yeah, no. I mean, this is a huge one for me. Uh what does that mean? Well, I guess it means that it's one of my favorite movies. It's one of those all time classics that I've seen a million times. You know, there was a time where I was watching it at least once a year. I saw it re released in theaters probably about ten years ago at this point. Um, yeah, it's just a, uh, it's just a great, it's a, it's a, it's an all timer for me. Um, really excited to talk about it. Really excited to dive into this, to this film. I will say it had been a while since I had seen it, um, that for this viewing, uh, and yeah, but you know, not unlike, you know, not unlike a, a Magnolia or a Royal Tenenbaums, going back to it, it felt right. Felt, you know, it Wait, fit, fit. When was the first time you saw Taxi Driver? I was an adult. I was uh, probably 18 or 19 years old. I remember my friend Evan Kimball in Texas showed me this movie. I remember he, because we were, we were just becoming new friends, and he was that guy you have in your life, Eric, who, like, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big movie fan. I love movies. And he'd be like, "All right, who do you love?" And he'd be like, "Well, I love, I love uh, Tarantino, and I love Kevin Smith, and I love, you know, uh, um, the movie Boondock Saints." You know, you'd say stuff like that, and then he mm. would go, "Oh, okay, interesting. Well, let me show you Ingmar Bergman. Uh, yeah. Let me show you uh, Taxi Driver. Let me show you the movie The Ice Storm." <laughs> 
and right. uh, kind of changed my life forever. And I still obviously like all those things I mentioned other than Boondock Saints. But, um, but yeah, he really did kind of shape my film taste and kind of showed me the good stuff, we called it. We, uh, literally, we, we, were, we were that pretentious back in college. We, we would call it the good stuff. And that was, <laughs> that was the stuff that would come out on Criterion. You know what I mean? That was the foreign yeah. the foreign films that would get released to the small independent theaters. Those are the films right. that really challenged you and make, made you think. We call that the good stuff. And like, not that like a movie like a Kill Bill wasn't the good stuff. You know, it's a good movie, whatever. But we that wasn't in the genre of the good stuff. The good stuff was, you know, a Winter Light or the mm-hmm. Four Hundred Blows by Truffaut. So, uh, and to me, you know, Taxi Driver always has a special place in my heart because that was one of the films he, he kind of showed me back in the day and, uh, and yeah, I, I, to this day, I still think this film has a lot to offer. I think it's really great. If you've ever, <laughs> I don't know if we'll get into this a lot, but, uh, a film, there's a film that came out pretty recently, uh, starring one Joaquin Phoenix and yeah. Robert De Niro, who was in it. Uh, did you see this film? I believe they called it the um, the Joker. The Joker, yeah, yeah. yeah. This uh, the Joker. Uh, that film is like kind of brought Taxi Driver back into the conversation for a while because it is a r- complete ripoff of this movie, um, and it even has the audacity to cast the ma- the, the the lead uh, actor from yeah. this movie in that movie, and it is. It is a cheap interpretation, uh, in my in my opinion. And again, I know there's lots of people who love Joker, whatever. In my opinion, Joker is like a cheap imitation of what this movie is. And uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll get into some of that as as the podcast goes on. But um, what about you, Eric? Did you have you ever seen this movie before? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And you know, Jeremy, long way to go for this callback. But I too had a friend who would o- often ask me, "Who do you love?" Uh-huh. You know what his name was? <laughs> yeah. George Thorogood. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw, I've saw. i seen this movie one time. There was a period of time in college when I worked at the library. And I had a whole summer where I was just working at this library in this college town. And I was like, well, I might as well just watch a ton of movies from this library and I, I made a point to watch like a lot of the classics that I just never seen before mm. um, that I was like embarrassed at that point to have not seen. Right. So I, I watched, I remember I watched Chinatown and Taxi Driver same night. Oh my Can't God. Can't remember <laughs> which order it was, but my first impression of Taxi Driver was like, oh, I remember the Simpsons like oh sure riffing on this yeah well it's particularly the score uh uh-huh. but um i was not like i don't know i must have watched it like after chinatown because i remember i was like not particularly blown away by it necessarily i appreciated it and then for this viewing because of the joker stuff i was like is this movie like the Joker of that time period? And I don't know if I'm going to like this because the Joker like made it, made me kind of not like the idea of the movie Taxi Driver. Right. And I I don't necessarily know what this movie's like kind of trying to say. And I, I, you know, I don't, like Travis, like that it it like freaks me. This is a movie that like freaks me out and makes me uncomfortable. But also, when I watched it this time, especially in the context of like watching all the Marty movies leading up to it, mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, this is a really really good movie. Yeah. Like this is just like I, it deserves all of the sort of. Uh, praise that it gets and also you think of like the iconic moments in this movie and I was kind of thinking while I was watching this like oh I remember that from like that's just a thing that's in the zeitgeist like the you know you talking to me line Mm -hmm. it's just a thing that just like people quote it and they don't even know what it's from right like it's just that well known of a thing but you kind of forget, like, you, like, have these little things that you remember about a classic movie, but you kind of forget that that moment 
is so good because of everything else that happens around it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like watching this movie, I was like, oh, I'm going to see that scene again. I'm going to hear him say that line again. But there's so much more to it. And the whole, this whole movie is just so good. It's just, it's it's unbelievable. I love this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. So I'm excited to talk about it. But, same, uh, same. And I don't think it's, it, you know, I mean, if we can get into all aspects of it too, like, uh, this movie freaks me out also. And I've also at times, different times in my life, had trouble understanding what it's trying to say. And I have had that same question, Eric, of like, is this a, a version of that kind of m- jokery movie from that time? <laughs> you know, like, uh, I've had similar thoughts before. Um, I think where I land on it now is is very positive, but I, I, I definitely identify with not getting taxi driver or being like, does, does this movie need to exist? You know, like that, like having that kind of, uh, that fantasy, you know, but I think ultimately, you know, I don't know. I, I, I find it to be fascinating. I think the story around it is pretty fascinating and kind of excited to just talk about any and all aspects yeah. of it. And wherever the conversation leads us, it'll be, a, it'll, it's going to be a good time. Well, I think what I noticed with this movie and like, from what I'm remembering from the Joker is the Joker is like we we get this like backstory of the Joker where he's like a failed clown or whatever uh, and like his boss like yells at him and yeah. we get all that stuff up top where like we're supposed to I don't know I guess feel sympathetic for this Joker character which like makes us I don't know whatever but it, the the only sort of background we get for Travis Bickle is we like find he's like clearly an insomniac and right he yeah. like takes all we we like sort of in the background see like medication like maybe he has some mental problems but we don't really get much of that and i kind of like that like i uh, we we know there's like something going on with this guy yeah we don't exactly know what it is well the joker makes excuses for the joker which yeah. which taxi driver the only line you get that gives you any insight as to why <laughs> Travis Bickle might be the way he is, is he explains that he is in fact a veteran. That yeah. is really it. <laughs> like yeah. he is, he did at some point serve in the military. We do not know under what capacity or what that even means. Of course, if you serve in the military, most people who do that do not become Travis Bickle. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's it's less of an excuse and more just another fact about Travis Bickle that kind of just makes him more interesting or his his situation more interesting. But yeah, this is a movie that came out in the seventies, so they didn't feel like they had it. I feel like just in general, they didn't feel like they had a need to make excuses for characters. Characters could just be bad. They could just be antiheroes. They could just be conflicted, sort of both good and bad, or complicated or whatever. Uh, it's sort of like a modern day Hollywood necessity to like, kind of like tell you why everything is the way that it is, you know, like why Mm. the Joker had to be the Joker, you know, why Heath Ledger's Joker is better. I'll tell you why. Cause we don't know why he's the Joker. (laughs) Like he lies the entire movie about why he's the Joker. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker, we know exactly... I would become the Joker if I had his life, <laughs> you know? It's, <laughs> it's like, it is, it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not complicated at all. And I think that is what it makes that a, a, a much lesser movie in general. Um, but again, compared to Taxi Driver, a lot of movies are lesser movies. I mean, this, this, this is one of the all-timers. It is on a lot of lists. Um, so even to compare it to Joker, it sucks that we kind of have to do that, but I feel like we yeah, do have to do it because it is such a ubiquitous yeah, thing. But the thing, if we were having this conversation five years from now, the Joker wouldn't even come up. Oh, yeah, and I can't wait. Tell <laughs> <laughs> yeah. people just com- completely forget about the Joker. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, a lot to talk about with The Taxi Driver. First of all, written by... Uh, Paul Schrader, the Schrader, right? the man, man. Can I say one of the one of the weird things about Paul Schrader is he's as old as he is, and his 
presence on Facebook does not bother me <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that I follow him, but uh, that's good to hear. They're always posting Schrader stuff to Twitter that he'll say on his Facebook, because I guess that's how he interacts with his fans. And it's always just okay. like film stuff. <laughs> it's always just like... Oh, I really liked this movie from this time. So he just seems like a nice old dude, you know. Um, maybe he's not, but I don't know. To me, there are lots of older film people on Twitter that I'm just like, oh man, maybe you should. Maybe this isn't your medium, you know. Yeah, I'm realizing now that we're gonna see uh, quite a bit of Paul Schrader written films. A couple more, at least. Yeah. Um, Raging Bull. Mm-hmm. Last Temptation of Christ. Yep. Oh yeah, and yeah. Did you ever end up? I remember last time we talked about it, you hadn't seen it. But did you ever watch? End up watching First Reformed? I have not watched First Reformed yet, but I heard it's great. A lot of people love that movie, and I need to. I need to watch yeah. that. Yeah, he's a um, weird guy, man. He made a movie. He made yeah, that he movie, but then he made a couple years before that. He made a movie with Lindsay Lohan and the porn star James Dean. <laughs> <laughs> like he's he's kind of a all over the place kind of guy, and he's really obsessed with like sex, like uh, uh, not not in the way that it, that sounds just straight away, but like he, he a lot of the the subjects of his films are about sex in a in a kind of an interesting way. Like he also made the movie American Gigolo, I believe, which is the the mm. bright breakout film for Richard Gere, where he plays for Rob a, Schneider for Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Where he, uh, where Rob Schneider plays an, an American gigolo, and he, uh, yeah. he wrote and directed that movie, and it was a huge movie for, um, for Richard Gere back in this, and he did it the same year as Raging Bull, which is crazy. What do you think of this, Bruce Bugalo, <laughs> male juggalo, something <laughs> along those lines? <laughs> Um, so yeah, Paul Schrader, I, I think this is a movie that was like going, like the script was going around, you know what I mean? And, and at that point, um, I believe when, man, I like just read a story about this and I'm forgetting the details, but anyway, uh, Scorsese ended up uh, being able to direct it, even though at the time, uh, what's it called? Wasn't even out yet. Um, the film Mean Streets. Yeah. Right. Uh, pretty low budget, two million bucks. Um, various actors took pay cuts. Uh, De Niro and Sybil Shepard both received thirty-five grand to make the film. Scorsese was only given sixty-five thousand dollars. I mean, I could live on that for a while. No, that's uh, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. Uh, this movie, oh, here's something I was excited to talk to you about, is this is not only a score by Bernard Her- Herman, it's his last score. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Nuts. And he died, like, during the production of this or something, I think, right? Something along those lines? Yeah, yeah. The the stuff around Bernard Herrmann in this movie is really interesting if you read through the IMDb trivia. Um, some stuff I never really knew. Like, like he didn't want to do the film at all, and he's quoted to have saying literally, I don't do car movies. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Scorsese... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, they gave him the script and then he read through the script and he signed on after, after that. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't write music for car movies is is his exact quote. Um, I mean, the guy did Citizen Kane. I mean, that's, that's another score he did. He did, uh, Hitchcock. He worked with Hitchcock, man. He did Psycho. Bernard Herrmann is the Psycho guy. Uh, another great <laughs> Bernard Herrmann story is Steven Spielberg visited the music recording sessions for this movie to tell composer Bernard Herrmann how much he admired his work. The prickly Herrmann responded, oh yeah? Then why do you always use John Williams for your films? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Love it. I would like to see a documentary on, on Bernard Herrmann. There oh, probably is one yeah. out there. I bet there might be. Bernard Herrmann documentary. Uh, music for the movies, Bernard. No, it's not like a proper documentary, though. Mm. Um, okay, that's my next project. 
I'll make Dude, a documentary. Make it. Oh man, people would lo- people would f- flood the theaters to see that. Ten whole people <laughs> yeah. might go watch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So anyway, Taxi Driver. Um. This is uh. What I found very interesting about this uh film is looking at. I- I'm fascinated with '70s New York because mm-hmm. it's like the. It's 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 just from what I've heard it was just like uh kind of sketchy like a super sketchy sort of like a seedy obviously there's different boroughs where you know it's you know more safe in different places and and whatnot but wasn't it wasn't New York during the seventies like very crime ridden oh yeah dude it was a nightmare um yeah. really Gotham City esque like just cr- it feels like. The stories you hear from 70s New York and and even 80s New York is just crime around every corner, you know, uh, terrible, terrible place to walk. Don't want to walk home alone at night, um, you know, just really bad. It, it wasn't until much later that it would be kind of cleaned up and like just so heavily commercialized uh, by what the 90s. When did I mean? I I really do feel like as as um, yeah as cr- as much as we're n- as as. Much of a as of a uh, uh, piece of uh, garbage that uh, Giuliani uh, is, um, he's always credited as having cleaned up that city, which I think just means like flooding it with police and just busting the heads of of, of criminals and and probably just poor people. There um, was a while there though too that was kind of weird where there was nobody nobody lived in New York except for Tom Cruise. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That we see that in that movie Vanilla Sky, that documentary, which was insane because you got to think like, okay, well, why is he even there then? <laughs> right. And all the like billboards on Times Square are running, and it's just weird. It just didn't make sense. Anyway, uh, weird, <laughs> weird documentary. Uh, also, this is a uh, this was filmed at a time when uh, New York was like literally bankrupt, mm-hmm. or on the brink of bankruptcy, I suppose. Uh, so there were like condemned buildings everywhere, and the city was not in a good place. Uh, let's see, Jeremy, any uh, background or tidbits come to mind for you? I'm, this is one of those films, you know, where um, you could go on for the rest of our lives with stuff that I find interesting about this film, you know. Uh, Scorsese makes a cameo in the film twice. Uh, you know, I almost called him friend of the podcast, subject of the podcast, um, the uh, the great uh, uh, American, uh, Italian American, not Italian American, what's his name? Uh, American. Stephen. Prince. Stephen Prince makes an American appearance. Boy. American boy makes makes an uh, appearance in this as a as a gun salesman. Um, Albert Brooks, the great Albert Brooks, is in this film. Uh, heavily improvised a lot of his stuff in this. There was a lot of uh, uh, changing of the guard as far as who was going to make this movie. At one point, Brian De Palma was going to make it. Uh, uh, then, then of course, Scorsese was attached with uh, with the great Robert De Niro, um, who at first they offered the role to Dennis uh, Dustin Hoffman. Um, uh, apparently, it was written with Jeff Bridges in mind. But all this aside, uh, the the thing that is you is across the board true is that anyone who was offered any part of this film and didn't uh, end up uh, jumping on it regrets it. Um, to this day like they they've all said that they regret it brian de palma dustin hoffman um another another really interesting thing about this film is that um hold on i just had it it is is that uh robert de niro you know he's not really known for this anymore. It's not really a thing that I would say is the most famous about him, but for a while, you know, when you would talk about Robert De Niro, I feel like in the nineties, the thing that everyone was always talking about was that he was a method actor, that he was so crazy. And the, and the way that he would prefer, prepare for his roles was so crazy. And people like to tell 
trade little stories back and forth. I don't know if you've heard any of these stories, Eric, but like how he would get into his roles, the things he would do to get into his roles. He lost, he mm-hmm. gained all this weight for Raging Bull. He, he, uh, in the Untouchables, he he uh, wore the underwear of Al Capone. Um, you know, this sort of like larger than life stories. Well, Taxi Driver was a film where he apparently stayed in character for the entire. Uh, production, which is a crazy thought, the idea that he was locked in this in this guy for so long, um, and uh, and yeah, apparently during the filming of this movie, he won an Oscar for The Godfather Part Two. Uh, it also contributed to like the the studios wanting to shut this movie down because they thought De Niro was going to suddenly want a lot more money than $35,000, which is not, that's not that much money to make this movie. <laughs> no. And, um, and apparently De Niro had to be like, no, I, I, I will stay at this salary to get this movie made. He really believed in the movie. He, to prepare for this film, he took a job as an actual taxi driver, drove 15 hour days, uh, as a, a, and won an Oscar during this time, and after he won the Oscar, was still driving the taxi. And had an actor gotten his car and was reported to have noted recognized him as an Oscar-winning actor, and said, "Uh, wow, I can't. Your opportunity, you just won an Oscar. Is it really that hard to get work out here?" <laughs> <laughs> Nuts. Um. So yeah, that's that is some that is some fun. Some fun facts and factoids about about the movie, but again, you you really could just go on and on. I mean, there's, there's just so much stuff, so much uh, Hollywood and New York film um, history in this. I mean, it's it's Jodie Foster. You could we could talk about uh, the uh, the uh, assassination attempt uh, of the of the uh, of the president by the by the guy. You know what I'm talking about? No, the guy that like. He did it for for Jodie Foster when asked about about uh about like why he um why he had ad- attempted to assassinate the president. This is a very famous uh thing that was that a lot of people blamed this on the movie but but like a real life kind of like Travis uh a uh, Bickle kind of guy um Oh, John Hinckley Jr. Taxi Driver formed part of uh, of the delusional fantasy of John Hinckley Jr. that triggered his attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan in 1981, an act for which he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Hinckley stated that his actions were an attempt to impress Foster, who, by the way, is a child. Um, yeah, she's 12. She's 12. This. Yeah. On whom uh, Hinckley was fixated by mimicking Travis's Mohawk appearance at uh, the Palatine Rally. His attorney concluded his defense by playing the movie for the jury. His attorney concluded his defense by playing the movie for the jury. (laughs) (laughs) When Scorsese heard about Hinckley's motivation by the assassination attempt, he briefly thought about quitting filmmaking as the association brought a negative perception of the film. Yeah. Huh. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, Crazy stuff, man. So... Do uh, Jeremy, were you aware that there was a garbage strike going I, on? I, I was aware of that during yeah. the filming, yes. which is why. Uh, so apparently, the filth we see on screen is real. Could you imagine New York during a garbage strike? Oh my gosh! Sounds like L.A. during a normal time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're telling me, um, Jeremy. What do you say we dive into the plot? Let's do it. And before we do that. Let's take a quick 30-second break. Welcome back to the Slate Politics show. I, I don't know. <laughs> that was good. Uh, Jeremy, we're talking about the plot of... Uh, taxi driver. By the way, I'm very proud of us for uh, still not um, making the uh, the the what I what I what I would say is uh, probably like a hacky. I'm sure like a, this is like an oh, like a 
an open micer comedian uh-huh. has, has has done a bit about how taxi driver nowadays would be Uber driver. <laughs> I'm glad that neither of us had has you know pointed that out yet. Made that kind of joke, yeah, Made for sure. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it would be kind of like Lyft driver. <laughs> Um, Travis might even be Tickle. like a Postmates driver. Travis Tickle is a twenty-six-year-old honorable dis- honorably discharged U.S. Marine and Vietnam War veteran suffering from PTSD and living in isolation in New York City. I love the editorializing right away on this Wikipedia that he is suffering yeah. PTSD living in Iceland. Like you can maybe infer that, but it's like Wikipedia authors have to assign all of their inferences into it. Like as if it's true, they, they never say right. that. <laughs> they never, they never say that. I mean, but yeah, may, yeah, I, sure. He's fought in Vietnam and he has PTSD. Okay, that would make sense. <laughs> we got to make yeah. some kind of sense of this. Crazy I mean, we movie. do know that he was a Marine. I guess but <laughs> we do know. Yeah, that's the extent of it. Right. I mean, because he's wearing the you know the jacket. Um, he takes a job as a night shift taxi driver to cope with his chronic insomnia. Uh, he frequents the porn theaters on 42nd Street and keeps a diary in which he consciously attempts to include aphorisms such as, you're only as healthy as you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, Platitudes is what I know those to as, right? Yeah. I know them as bananagrams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what do you think the you porn think? thing is about? I, I I was wondering that as I was watching this is what his deal is like. What does he get out of it? Because I it he seems like his va like he he it doesn't seem like he's going to these movies for like the the reason that other people do. Like, uh, right. there's something more, like, lonely and weird about it, about him going. For sure. And, and it's almost like, I mean, me and my friend Evan, who I mentioned already on the show, we uh, we had this theory that he, like, didn't understand the difference between porn and just <laughs> regular movies. I mean, maybe like he like like he just thought he was going to the theater or something, or just like this is what young people do. They go watch pornos or something. Also, it probably would be the only theaters open like late enough for like a taxi driver to go see maybe on his when he gets off of work or something. But um, but yeah, like later we'll see him we'll see him sort of commit a, a serious social faux pas later on in the film, and it's almost like he just does not understand what the problem is. Yeah, it's uh it's it it is a strange quirk of his that um I don't know, maybe you're onto something with the late night thing cuz he is a uh, can't sleep, you know. Well, yeah, for He's sure. One of those guys. Yeah. Um Travis but then again, so same with uh what's his face in the machinist and he's not going to porno theaters. He's going to airport bars. Nah, man. He's a walking porno theater. That guy's hot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Travis becomes infa- infatuated with Betsy, a campaign volunteer for Senator and presidential candidate Andrew Yang. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. That got me. Charles Palantine. But after no, watching... Charles her- Palantine, though, he is supposed to... It's weird. He is supposed to be like Reagan, I think. I think that if they could have said Reagan, they would have, but he's they gave him a, you know, name. Yeah. Um after watching her interact with fellow worker Tom through her window, Travis enters to volunteer as a pretext to talk to her, then takes her out for coffee. 
the uh, Wikipedia author also was like, definitely found the word pretext from searching mm. like synonyms of another mm. word. Mm-hmm. Nobody uses the word pretext in, you know, yeah. ever really. Yeah. Anyway, what do you think of uh, Betsy? What do you think of this whole coffee date? Well, I mean, so I'll say this: Civil Shepherd, perfect casting. Albert Brooks, perfect casting. I mean, I, I love Albert Brooks. I'm a huge Albert Brooks fan. Are you Are you a fan of his? Yes, I like yeah. Albert Brooks. I mean, Simpsons, you know, appearances alone. Hank Scorpio, my man. I mean, Albert Brooks oh, is, yeah. a, is a is a is an ace. Uh, Civil Shepherd, you know, I, this is one of those roles where like she she's like. I am innocent looking, sweet looking blonde lady. You know what I mean? Like her, her whole thing is I, she has to be the opposite of whatever he is. So, you know, it's kind of got that vibe of like, you know, she's almost innocence incarnate, you know? Mm. And, and he's such a scuzzy, gross looking, gross man. Um, so by virtue of that, I, I, I don't want to say she's not interesting. I just want to say that she's not really like, you know, she's, she is the, the negative version, the alternate, the bizarro version of of him. And it works really well. And the relationship is really interesting. And one of the great tricks that the film does is sort of leads you on into believing this is a thing he can have. Like this, this might be a kind of an interesting romantic comedy, (laughs) you know, like there's a, there's a moment here where you think maybe he's okay. Maybe she's going to clean up his act. Maybe that's what taxi driver is about. Yeah. uh, It it doesn't quite go that way. Not quite. Not exactly. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, you know, I like, uh, I like Sybil Shepard in this movie. She's, she's great. Um, rockin', uh, outfit, by the way. Oh, dude, 70s rules. Every, yeah. Yeah. Why don't we still dress like that? We kind of do every now and then. Like, our, our, you know, we kind of go back every now and then. Style changes. Anyway, uh, Betsy agrees to go on another date with him during which he takes her to see a pornographic film. (laughs) (laughs) The the, uh, previously mentioned faux pas. (laughs) Uh, A disgusted Betsy leaves. Travis attempts to reconcile with her to no avail. Enraged, he storms into the campaign office where she works and berates her before he is ordered to leave by Tom. Yeah, what what are you thinking, dude? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude. And and also I just love that like Tom is such a wiener and you know what I mean? Like he's clearly playing the wiener guy in this and yeah. <laughs> you know, doing his best to try to try to be tough, but you, there's never a point in this movie where you think Tom could actually be be <laughs> protector from a guy like Travis Bickle. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Experiencing an existential crisis and seeing various counts of prostitution throughout the city, Travis confides in fellow taxi driver Wizard mm-hmm. about his thoughts, which Played are by Raymond's dad. <laughs> to turn Raymond's dad. That's that's who plays Wizard. Is from oh, is the dad from Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, okay. I didn't put that together, uh, which are beginning to turn violent. However, Wizard assures him that he will be fine. I think before this we see... Uh, we also see that you know the pivotal moment where... Uh, what's, her, uh, what's her character's name? Jodie Foster is like taken out of that taxi. Yeah, out of oh, this taxi, right. Yeah, we get I mean? a little hint that there's something going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this movie does a good job of, like, planting seeds. Right. You know? And then we get back to them. Uh, Betsy agrees to... Uh, hold on a second. 
In an attempt to find an outlet for his rage, Travis begins a program of intense physical training. A fellow taxi driver refers him to a black market gun dealer, Easy, Andy, and huh. uh, from whom Travis buys four handguns. Yeah, don't just get one at first. You got to right. <laughs> really stock up. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I do like... Uh, What's his name? Is uh, Stephen Prince as this gun seller, though. Right. Very funny. Very cool. Uh, at home, Travis practices drawing his weapons and modifies one to allow him to hide and quickly deploy it from his sleeve. He also begins attending Palatine's rallies to scope out their, their security. One night, Travis enters a convenience store moments before an attempt at robbery armed robbery and kills the robber okay so when he goes to palantine's rally to like scope things out he does a really bad job of like (laughs) not being suspicious yeah he's the least not suspicious guy ever this is where he like already is talking to the um the like uh security detail right yeah and he's like asking for a job basically right well, that's okay. That's another weird kind of mystery about the film. Like, at one point, you think he like actually get like likes this politician, but then it, later, it's kind of clear he's not. He kind of maybe wants to kill this politician, and kind of what's that about, right? Yeah. Like, he kind of is singing the politician's praises. And when he gets in that car with him, right? Like, or when when, when he actually taxes him around, he's, like, being like, I actually think you're going to clean up these streets. You know, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's, like, really, really laying it on thick. Is he is he being disingenuous in that scene? Does he change his mind? Does he just kind of... My theory is about Travis is he's just kind of looking for anything. Like, he's kind of just so lost that he's, like, a sycophantic, obsessive, compulsive, just sort of, you know, really running hot and cold, you know, maybe a little bipolar, swinging back and forth, wants to wants to work for the government and do his country proud, and then suddenly is like, no, actually, it's they're the problem. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I think he's a little bit of a Bono where he uh, still hasn't found what he's looking for. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, that is that is one thing. Like, it's hard for me to, like, figure his character out. And I think that's kind of why I like this movie. Because um, it's, like, a fascinating... It's just, like, very... It, it's done in a way that's, like, believable. And you know the filmmaking's so good, but then it's like I feel like I'm watching an actual person, and I'm like, well, this could be someone, and maybe there's something to the fact that like we're having this conversation, and like people like there's not like a clear answer of why he is this way or why he's doing this. Mm-hmm. Um. It's strange. I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of it. But, uh, yeah, because at a certain point, like, and I guess it's after he gets... Okay, so what is it that, like, makes him jump to the point of, like, buying guns and, like, wanting to kill a politician? Is it uh, the rejection from uh, the uh, from Betsy? Yeah. Or is it him seeing, um, you know, the prostitute being, like, taken out of his taxi? it's uh, a great question, you know? Well, why is he, so, is he, like, he just got back from being in the Marines? Is that what we're to assume? Yeah, but... Like, what was he doing right before being a taxi driver? That's a good question too. I don't really know. I, I let's just say that he was even at this time though in the film. We gotta, we gotta kind of like assume it's been 
a year at least or you know months and yeah. months like the way time flows in this movie too like it's not really super clear but you get the you get the impression this movie takes place over a long period of time hmm. at least i do anyway maybe it doesn't but that's what i always kind of thought um i always thought this was like an after hours thing where it's like one night <laughs> that's one crazy like that's one sun, hell of a yeah. night <laughs> yeah yeah, and the sun's like, do the sun and moon are just doing some weird, you know, they're going faster than normal. Uh, on his trips around the city, Travis regularly encounters Iris, a child prostitute. He fantasizes about saving her life of exploitation uh, from her life of exploitation. Travis solicits her and tries to convince her to stop prostituting herself. Soon after, Travis cuts his hair into a mohawk and attends a public rally where he plans to assassinate Palantine. However, he is chased away by Secret Service agents who see him drawing his gun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we get... Um, uh, boy, I'm blanking on everyone's name tonight. What's his face? You know who I'm talking about. Who? The pimp. Um, Harvey Keitel. Yeah, Keitel. Yeah. Harvey Keitel, who, by the way, was offered the role of Albert Brooks, this kind of soft uh, campaign guy, was like, no, I don't play the pimp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. He's Yeah, what do you think of him, though, his character? He is... It's a fun performance. It's sort. It's very strange, you know? It's it's yeah. it's like, it's a very weird kind of strange thing. He's he's clearly the bad guy. A lot of it's a lot of it's feels improvised. Um Yeah, but ultimately, you know, I love Kaitel. I love him in I love him in Scorsese films. Kaitel seems like a fun guy, man, cuz he seems like he's always just wanting to play the weirdo. Yeah, it seems like it. I I like his whole get up too with the uh, the long hair. Long hair. The black hat and the white tank top. Yeah. <laughs> his guns, guns hanging out of his, you know. Uh, and also looks like he's wearing a, I'm looking at a still right now. It looks like he's wearing a puka shell necklace. Right, yeah. <laughs> but that can't be true. Uh, yes, so we get the mohawk, we get the failed assassination attempt. Uh, that evening, Travis drives to the brothel where Iris works. He confronts Iris's pimp, Sport, uh, who outside of the brothel and shoots him. He enters the building and engages in a shootout with Sport, an Iris's client, and is shot several times. Travis manages to kill the two men, then brawls with the bouncer before Travis stabs him with his knife and kills the bouncer before slumping on a couch next to a sobbing Iris. He attempts yeah. to kill himself, but is... Out of bullets, as police report to the scene, a delirious Travis imitates shooting himself in the head. Oof. And then that yes, one big glob of no. blood falls off of his finger, too. Oh. <laughs> gross. It's so gross, yeah. This yeah. is one of that that whole ending scene is like one of the kind of most wild ending kind of action sequences to anything he it's it, it's so gruesome and so bloody and and yeah like it's such a weird thing like uh, one thing i love about this en- the ending of this film is uh, we of course we haven't really gotten there but um uh you know he uh, i guess I, we, we can just like kind of read on actually i'll say i'll say what i'm gonna say till after we kind of reveal it to the our audience <laughs> travis goes into a coma due to his injuries he is heralded by the press uh as a heroic vigilante and is not prosecuted for the murders he receives a letter from iris's father thanking him after recovering travis returns to work where he encounters betsy as a fare. <laughs> uh travis drives her home and allows her to leave without paying her fare departing with a smile as Travis drives off, he becomes suddenly agitated after noticing something in his rearview mirror. Nice. <laughs> so what do you think he saw back there. I don't know. I I mean, he probably saw some kind of really smart callback that I can't think of right now. 
You know what I think is he uh, saw after he dropped uh, Betsy off, mm-hmm. Ben Stiller's character from Meet the Parents right. show up. Yeah, there we go. Uh huh. Um, Isn't it weird how like one of the main like jokes in Meet the Parents is how Ben Stiller is a nurse? Yeah, it is like weird. the joke is he. It's funny that he's a nurse because he's a man. Yeah, like men being nurses is kind of just hilarious because yeah. that's normally like what ladies like do. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Weird stuff. Um. Yeah, this ending is. Uh, if we if we can just hang on the ending for a second, only because I feel like it's particularly profound. No, I want to talk about Meet the Parents <laughs> a little bit more. Andrew Yang. Um. So <laughs> yeah, I think this ending is really crazy because it's like. He he through like a series of falling upwards becomes like this local hero, but we know he didn't do this because for like a good reason, or rather, him in his confusion just sort of found something heroic to do when just moments before he was going to be outed ousted as like a a terrorist. He basically is a a domestic terrorist who is like sort of just like looking for purpose and kind of flip-flopping back and forth between like, do I want to kill the president? Do I want to kill these criminals? Do I want to, what do I want to, you know? And um, clearly he does the wrong thing. He executes in cold blood like a ton of people. uh, And like, yes, he maybe saves iris but does he because he did kill all these people right in front of her you know what i mean like it it's it's such a good ending to a movie that is that is so challenging because it doesn't it doesn't even give you a moment of satisfaction even in its ending like you kind of get this moment with him and betsy where there's a little closure but then he gets like agitated by something he notices in the rear view window and so to me that telegraphs it isn't over with him whatever it was that was broken about travis is still broken today and you know what i don't think that betsy gets in his car i think that what he might be seeing in the back is that there was nobody ever there that that was like a that was just a complete oh i like that a ghost i don't i don't think that i don't think it that actually happens but you know to me this is this has one of the all-time great endings because it is like it is just so like what do you make of this like who is this guy like what on earth is going to happen next you know um what do you think of the ending of this movie it's like i mean well it's insane like the shootout and stuff is insane like all, all that action stuff is crazy and then like him just becoming uh hero it's like it's such a weird thing because it's like he uh, like a guy nobody should be able to have four guns for example (laughs) (laughs) um but like a guy we see this guy who like was about to do like a really bad thing and like assassinate a politician and then he his idea of doing something good was like freeing this, um, you know, young girl who was, you know, doing these things that definitely should not be happening, but which is, you know, a good deed. Like it's good for him to like, you know, know what the, uh, a young, a girl should not be in Jodie Foster's position in this movie ever. Uh, like it's, it's terrible, but at the same time to like free her, he is doing all this murder and stuff that he seems to be enjoying. You know what I mean? Like it's weird. It's like this weird thing where it's like some of what he's doing is like really good. Some of what he's doing is really bad. And Mm -hmm. I don't like, it's, it's like, there's like a, it, it's almost like there's a, that's kind of what bothers me a little bit about this movie is like 
I feel like I interpret it wrong or something, and I like don't want to be. Like I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say Travis Bickle is good or bad. I think he's um well, I don't really believe in good and bad necessarily, but I think that in I think he's bad. I, I think, think he's he, bad too. I think he I think he is the sickness of of New York. I like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I think he is the problem. Like he and 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 you could also read it as like well that's a, also a failing of America like that is our country's problem right like we kind of create these Travis Bickles, <laughs> um I mean that's just you know it's kind of hacky to say but you know what I mean but you know what I mean it's it's kind of true too, <laughs> like uh you know war does create these paranoid psychotics in, in a lot of ways um you could you could argue that and that we don't really have a good system in place to take care of these kinds of people we also have a, a severe yeah. uh uh what toxic masculinity problem in our in our country especially at this time and uh scorsese has gone on the record of saying this is his most feminist film because this film is what would happen if if masculinity if masculinity was allowed to uh, go unchecked to an ultimate conclusion. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is like, yeah, I I think he's bad. Like, I think he's a bad guy. But the implication at the end of the film, I don't understand. Is like what I don't know what the um, film wants me to think of him. Because he becomes, you know, we we kind of transition to this like news, yeah, story of him being this hero, and then sort of he has this like, what seems to be for him sort of like cathartic experience where he's like, this girl that like rejected him, now he's rejecting her, kind of a thing, right? Um, and it's it just sort of has that vibe of like. A guy like like a, I I don't know. It's weird. It's mm-hmm. it's like really confusing mentally and it's, emotionally. It's it's like if a, uh, you know, I mean, again, like here we are about to. I'm about to compare to the Joker one last time, probably in this episode. But you know, the Joker tries to do this kind of thing too, where it takes a bad guy. And then what happens if the bad guy did a psychotic thing and the world responded really well to him? You know, that's seemingly what happens at the end of Joker, right? Is he gets all these followers and they parade him around like he's a hero um, for killing a guy on national television. I mean, that's kind of what Travis does in this movie. The difference, though, is that Travis is like, he has severe mental uh problems severe issues and just because everyone else is not seeing that and just seeing a hero in this moment um doesn't make it true we know the truth that's what makes it terrifying is what if everyone thought this guy was a hero but you knew the truth you knew the difference um and uh unlike the joker where it seems like the film is almost kind of saying like See, isn't Joker cool? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think Travis um, is cool. I think he's, a, I think, uh, like you said, like you said, bad. I th- I would say troubled, but yeah. You know, he's definitely, I think he's the villain. He's the villain of Taxi Driver. Um, Who do you think's the villain of this podcast? Oh, definitely oh, Brian. I, is. <laughs> uh, I was going to say Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a mix between Brian and Paul W.S. Anderson. Um, so Taxi Driver came out in 76. Oh, actually, let's get to our uh, Chucky Freckle ratings mm. first. What do you give this bad boy? Um, I mean, I, I reserve the right to change all these, as you know, at any point. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's hard for me to not give this one a uh, a four. Four Chucky Freckles out of, out of four. Um, I might bring it down a little bit. Another movie might surprise me. We don't know. I don't know yet. But uh, but yeah, it's a four. It's a it's it. This movie to me is as good as Billy Madison. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I will give this. 
a 3.75 only because it uh I don't know what it's saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That it would if it, if it would have been clearer, be, it would have bumped it up. Um but I don't know. I mean, sometimes I like that, but for whatever reason with this movie, like I mean, I love David Lynch movies, which are could couldn't be more vague. <laughs> some of them. But like right. for some reason this movie I don't know. Um, 3.75. And Jeremy, you know, we got this Patreon, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. This month we are going to be doing The Man Who Fell to Earth. Uh, That episode should be out by this uh, time you hear this. Uh, Jeremy, I would like to suggest, because Taxi Driver came out in 78 or Mm. 76. Yes. Um, What do you say we do some of the music stuff on the Patreon? What do you say we do an episode on The Last Waltz? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? Which came out in 78. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, maybe we'll do that at some point in July. Um, Jeremy, anything you want to plug before we, you know, sign off? No, not at all. Go to the Patreon. Sign up. Get 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 into it. Norma, I'll see you in my dreams.